0: Good morning. It is great to, as Kyle said, to be able to be together, to see one another. And uh, so thankful that we're all here and uh, able to worship together in uh, this space and um, just for the Lord's, um, you know, sustaining uh, power over our lives in the last week. Um, I don't know, you might notice um, just a little bit that my uh, my voice sounds a little bit uh, off this morning, and so um, i just uh, thank you for your patience. Just trust me, as painful it is for you to listen to, it's that much more painful for me to speak it, and, uh, and so, um, but spending, you know, uh, the night in some 40-degree uh, weather for a few nights this week kind of giving me a cold, and um, falling in the pool will also help uh, to that end, so um, you can... Uh, Laurel was a little bit upset about that one as I tried to break up the ice in our pool. Um, First world problems for sure. But uh, anyhow, we are here together, and um, what an amazing thing that we can uh, be able to worship together, and um, I'm so glad to see uh, you all Um, We are continuing in a study of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter six. Um, If you're uh, five through seven, really, but we're in chapter six this morning, as uh, Shane read for us. And um, if you're a guest with us, uh, we just make our way through books of the Bible. That's sort of our practice here at City Church. And uh, we're uh, right in the middle of this series. And so I'd encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to do so beforehand, you can go back and check out our podcast. Wherever you find a podcast, just look for City Church Melissa, and you can catch up on this series. Um, But And we are also in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, something, a text that and and, and scripture that we've probably either heard, read over us, we've spoken, we've prayed this prayer, all of those things many, many times, might be very familiar to many of us. But um, one of the things that I I have just grown in, 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 in my study, and I pray that this would be the same for you, is just a new appreciation, a deeper understanding of what Jesus was teaching us when he gave us this model prayer. Matthew chapter 6 begins with this. if We go back to very, the very first verse. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus begins this section, he had given in chapter 5, he starts out announcing the kingdom of God, the arrival of the kingdom, gives us sort of a picture of what the kingdom looks like through the Beatitudes, blessed are these, and he gives all of these statements that describe people of the kingdom and the blessings that we receive, and then he says in chapter 6, he begins to transition, and he makes a turn, and he frames all that we're looking at, even this Lord's Prayer, under this sort of heading of Beware of being so concerned about other people, about your human relationship, sort of the horizontal plane of our life, and putting that ahead of your relationship with me. Beware of trying to prove to other people how religious you are, how sanctified you are, how special you are, how blessed you are, and you forget to acknowledge me to put me first. This is what Jesus frames and he gives some examples. He describes the Pharisees who would in their attempts to even give to the poor, they've sort of taken that, it's been misused and now it's a tool for to prop themselves up, to bring fame to their name rather to glory to God. And then he turned to prayer and says in the same way, they're missing this. They're trying to pray in such a way that they're acknowledged for their prayers, for their eloquence of words or for the volume of their prayers. He says, that's not how you should do it. And so then he turns and he says, he sort of pauses in the middle here and says, I'm going to give you, let me teach you how it is that you should pray. And this is where we get the Lord's Prayer. As we talked about a few weeks ago when we began working through this passage of the scripture, this is not a prayer just to be recited. Again, not, there's nothing unique or special about these words. These words. But Jesus gives us this model prayer as a a model, as something to sort of frame and shape not only our prayer life, but ultimately how we look at all of life. Have you ever noticed the connection between your prayer life and what's going on just in your sort of regular or everyday life? Guess what? If you have an absence of prayer, here's what I can probably tell you about your everyday life. You are, have an absence of work, walking with God in your life. Your acknowledgement of him is probably distant. If you find yourself in your prayer life constantly asking God for this, for provision, for this need, for the, to, to, to give you whatever it is, more than likely that thing is what is currently consuming you. And so Jesus, as he gives us the model prayer, and he begins this model prayer with the acknowledgement of the kingdom of God, that we have a heavenly father who is completely other than us, completely separate from us, different than us, who has come to build his kingdom among us through Jesus and his work as he came, establishing his kingdom, which we went through in chapter five. And he is calling us to do his will and to seek to do his will. All of these things Help us as we begin our, and, and shape our prayer life around that idea to remember that we worship a sovereign God who is in the midst of doing big things. Not just for us, but He's doing, He is exercising and working out a story of redemption and restoration in the world through Christ. And we get to be a part of that. And so, He gives us this model prayer to helpfully and hopefully shape the way we view our world. I just want you to consider for a moment the beginning of this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. More than likely, I include myself in this. I fail to begin every day acknowledging God, the God of the universe, In the fact that he is at work building his kingdom here on earth. And that he has called me to seek after his will above my own. I forget that too often. And guess what happens on Monday at 3 o'clock? I am not conscious of the kingdom of God. Because I don't begin. I don't spend enough time focusing on that. But imagine if every day I woke up and spent time considering that reality. Would all of the other things in my life be shaped by that, by that truth? They would. And so then when we come to the second half of this prayer, give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, all of those requests, those desires, those things that we depend upon God for would be framed under that lens. Our whole worldview can be shaped and changed by this Prayer and by shaping our lives around the truth that Jesus teaches us when He teaches us how to pray. If we think about this a little bit further, our typical pattern, I think, if we just acknowledge it, is that we begin thinking about ourselves before we think about God. We wake up in the morning, most of us. Think about immediately what is on my to-do list. Many of us reach across to our nightstand and we grab that bright, shiny device. And it has a calendar on it, or it has a list of to-dos, or it has a million text messages, or some social media thread that we just have to get all caught up in the world on. Whatever it is, that's sort of where we start our day, and we begin with that in mind. And so when we go to God, if we think about God at all in the beginning of our day, we begin to think about, how, I need help doing that. I've got this to do, Lord. I need. To, what, what about this conversation? I'm going to go have coffee with this person. I've got this appointment. And we begin to ask God for all of these needs. And we forget to acknowledge again who he is. First, but just just think about this. I want to just appeal to our logic. If we believe that we worship and we're praying to the God who has the power to answer all of the requests, he has the power to provide when we ask for provision, he has the power to bring healing when we ask for healing, he has the power to to help us get in the new job or to fix this relationship, all of these things. If If that's who he is, Is he not God and worthy of our worship if he can do those things? It's the height of pride that we get tempted and we get that out of order where we begin to think, I'll just ask God for the things that he can give me. I believe he can give them to me, but I don't really, he doesn't need me to acknowledge who he is. Jesus teaches us no, that is the wrong. We've got it backwards when we do that. And so, as we come to the back half of this prayer where we have already acknowledged that we have a Father in heaven, we have a sovereign God of the universe who is holy, who is completely other than us and is building his kingdom and has called us to be a part of that kingdom, then Jesus says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. And everything that Jesus follows in this from 11 and following is reminding us and is teaching us of our complete and total dependence on God. Something that we fail to remember all too often. We are dependent upon God for our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now when Jesus is teaching us this text or teaching to his original hearers, these are people who literally lived day to day. They had to ask God to provide for their food for the next day. If they prayed a prayer similar to this in the evening, they were praying, God, provide food for me tomorrow. If they prayed the prayer in the morning, they were praying, God, I need to get enough money today to be able to buy the food that I can eat today. Every day was a sort of self-contained. That's all they had in front of them. And so they literally were dependent upon God for their daily bread. So this prayer of petition as we ask God for our daily bread, that doesn't really sit on our hearts in the same way because that is not the reality that we face. Our challenge is that we've been so abundantly blessed that we no longer see and realize our total dependence upon God. We think that we have done it on our own. And see, when we lose sight of our dependence on God, we begin to see the things that we have, we begin to see our lives as some natural result of our own giftedness or our own ability. And this is why we end up worshiping these things. See, Jesus, when he's teaching us to acknowledge and ask God for our daily bread, he's teaching us be dependent upon God and also remember that everything you have comes from him, every gift comes from him. But when we lose sight of that, we start worshiping the gifts rather than the giver. Let me explain it this way. I don't think, this is not my heart, and I don't think many of us set out with the idea of worshiping an idol, finding something that is, we could replace God with. I don't think that's our heart. We don't go to the car dealership and think about this car. Guys, I know there's a few cars out there, but let's just go with the general car. We're, we're talking about Chevys here or something like that. Anyway, I didn't mean to pick on Chevys. That was mean. All right. We go to the dealership. We don't go and pick out the car and think to, my, think to ourselves, this, this, this will be a good God. This car will will be something worthy of my worship. I don't think any of us think that way. That's not how we end up. No, what happens is, is that we mistakenly think, I bought this car because I earned the money for the car, and then I saved the money for the car, and then I went and negotiated the good deal for the car, and I was able to do all of this, and everything comes back to it's because of me. I worked, I earned, I saved, I did it. All of that completely absent of God. And so now you have this thing, whatever it is, whether it's a car, whether it's any, any, a possession of any kind or a relationship or anything else out there, we see it as something that we did and therefore what happens? We begin to worship ourselves and worship the thing rather than seeing it as a gift from God. We forget And so when we, when Jesus teaches us to ask God for our daily bread, he's essentially teaching us, remember that everything you have is a result of God's kindness. It's a gift. And if we would receive everything that we have as a gift, we would not find ourselves worshiping it. We would just want to steward it. We'd want to take care of it. We want to enjoy it. And guess what God does? He gives us good gifts that we get to enjoy. God, is he likes to see us have fun with the gifts that he blesses us with. This is not a thing against having things, but it's acknowledgement of who gives the gifts. James 1.17 reminds us, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or change. Everything that we have, friends, is a gift from God, We know that it's true, but how often do we truly acknowledge that in our daily lives? Our pride is so strong that I think if we're honest with ourselves, we look around our homes, we go about our day-to-day activities, and we think to ourselves, everything I have, everything that happens to me is because I did it. I earned it, I made it, I created it, I will have it. And we need to remember, Jesus teaches us, When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, this is a prayer in a sense of thanksgiving. It's an acknowledgement that we have been given gifts from God. And so when we ask God for our daily bread, ultimately what we do is we maybe change that around and we give thanks for all of the blessing. And we remember our total dependence upon God. How many of us really believe that when we wake up, When you woke up this morning, did you realize the breath that you were breathing was a gift from God? He said, I'll give you another day to live for my glory. And if he decides to not do that, you will not breathe tomorrow morning. The car that you get in, the home that you go to stay in. We were reminded this week, I was very well reminded how dependent upon God I am. And let me just confess to you, Sunday morning, the power is out. Kind of happens in our neighborhood. We're kind of a, I don't know, off the grid in some senses. I don't know what the right term is. Things break there. So I just thought, you know, it'll come back on in a couple hours. It happens every time the wind blows. No big deal. I made a video joking about going to get coffee. I knew it was ice, but, you know, I just need coffee. It wasn't until Monday, like about 3, that I'm like, This is not normal. Maybe I should pray. I should ask God to bring power back to my house. I'm getting a cold. I'm falling in the pool. Things aren't going well here for me, Lord. (laughs) I forgot. That's just my heart. That's, That's what happens to me. We forget how dependent upon God we are because we have so much. And we need to remember the much is not the evil part. It's what we think about it, how we use it, how we steward it. This is what we do when we pray and ask and acknowledge, Father, give us this day our daily bread. We are amazed and we give thanks to God for his provision, for his care, for all of the good things that we have. Jesus continues, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. We're not just dependent upon God for the things that we have, for all of the blessings that we have. But here Jesus is teaching us where we go for forgiveness of sins, that we are dependent upon God for him to forgive us. Jesus uses an interesting word here when he says, and forgive us our debts. Using, he doesn't use the word sin there, but what Jesus is describing, what he's speaking about here when he says to forgive our debts, is he is speaking about sin. He uses this language of debt to describe sin because debt paints a picture for sin for us that maybe we helps clarify some things. See, when you are in debt to someone, you owe them something. If you have a credit card or you have a mortgage payment, you know, you're in debt on those things. And so you owe someone something. When someone sins against you, here's what you know they owe you or you you excuse me you they owe you something when they sin against you they are in debt to you and the only way if someone sins against you that their debt to you is paid off is for you to forgive them if someone sins against me there's not really anything they can do to take it back to correct it to change it the sin has occurred the pain the injury whatever might have taken place has taken place and the only thing that can happen is i can forgive that is how that debt is satisfied well, the same is true for us. When we sin, we become in debt, indebted to God. But here's the beautiful thing. Here's the interesting picture in what Jesus is teaching us is that our debt isn't just forgiven. It's not just wiped out. You know, I know there's we, we, you read stories and you hear stories about various organizations that will just say we're just going to wipe all of these debts clean. No one owes us any more money. Now, that's not the way that our debt, our sin debt to God was dealt with. No, our debt was paid off. It was just paid off, not by us, but by Jesus. When Jesus laid down his life for us, our debt was forgiven because it was paid by another. And so our our responsibility is simply to accept his payments and acknowledge Our own sinfulness. And do you want to know how we go about doing that? How do we acknowledge our sinfulness before God? How do we receive that payment and and apply it to our lives? It's through the act of repentance. This is why Jesus tells us to offer forgiveness and ask for forgiveness because this is ultimately a prayer of repentance. Jesus, in verse 14, skipping down at the end, says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, he uses the word trespass instead of debt here, but still talking about the same subject. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we've got two texts here, verse 12 and verse 14. In both cases, Jesus is saying, he's forgiven us our ass. We ask God to forgive our debts and we also forgive others of theirs. And then he says, and if you don't forgive others, then your debts won't be forgiven. It seems like Jesus might be saying that Only way you're going to be forgiven is you do this and then God will do that. But that's not how God works. He doesn't do this exchange business. That's not the way he operates. So what is it that Jesus is getting at here? Matthew 18, a couple chapters later, Jesus is once again teaching his disciples. And it helps us to get a picture of what he's doing, what he is saying. Picking up in verse 21, he's talking to Peter. Peter's asking him about forgiveness and how he should forgive. He asks Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Many of you remember this. As many as seven times? No, Jesus says, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, and he gives this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money, by the way. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, a very small amount of money by comparison, by the way. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is teaching us in this parable And it connects to what he taught us in his model prayer, that forgiveness is a matter of the heart. It's a picture of what's happening in the heart. And the point of the parable is, is that if we realize how much we have been forgiven, if we understand our indebtedness to God, that was paid through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there is no way that we can have an attitude that would withhold forgiveness from someone else. It's only possible to withhold forgiveness and mercy towards another sinner if I don't believe that I had done anything ever wrong. Only when I believe that I have had in no need of forgiveness can I withhold forgiveness from other people. So this is why Jesus says, and forgive us our debts. He's teaching us to remember that we are sinners indebted to God and that ultimately it is his grace and mercy that we receive forgiveness. And when we acknowledge through repentance our need for forgiveness, we can't do anything but forgive others. If I say I never felt the need to repent And if I don't repent, then I won't be forgiven. This is, again, what the act, this is as Jesus has paid the debt. Some of you in this room, perhaps, you know in your heads, like I did many years ago as a younger man, I knew in my head that Jesus went to a cross. He was killed. And that I believed that three days later he rose again from the grave. I had no problems with that. The problem that I had was that I needed that forgiveness. The problem I had was I didn't believe that I was the sinner that Jesus laid down his life for. I wouldn't argue with you over the idea of God. I wouldn't argue with you over the story of Jesus. What I would have argued with you over is am I a sinner that needs that? I feel like I'm pretty good. But it's through the act of repentance. That we remember, no, I am in great debt to God. And only because of his grace and mercy, because Jesus went to the cross on my behalf, do I have a relationship with him. I understand fully how indebted and how much forgiveness God has granted to me. And therefore, as I come to other sinners, brothers and sisters, our faith family, how can I withhold forgiveness for anything? I can't because I know what I've been forgiven of. And so Jesus... In verse 12, when he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, he's in a sense teaching us that those two things go together. When we confess and when we repent to God and we receive forgiveness from him for our sins, we will, as a byproduct, go about being people who offer forgiveness. Do you want to know what this world needs more of? People who offer forgiveness, who display grace and mercy towards one another. This world does a great job of holding grudges, does a great job of being angry at one another, does a great job of resenting and all of those types of things. Imagine a world filled with people who recognize the grace and mercy of God in their own lives so much so that no matter what it is, I forgive you. I I show you grace. I respond in the same way that Christ has responded to me. That's what Jesus is teaching us. And as we pray like Jesus teaches us to pray, we remember before God, God, I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I have received through Christ your forgiveness. And we go about being people who forgive. Jesus then finally says in verse 13, closes out his prayer, this short little teaching, by saying, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this is a strange statement I don't know if you've ever struggled with this statement before, but it would be right that you should. And lead us not into temptation. It's as if we're asking God, Jesus is teaching us, ask God to help, to, to not lead you to sin. So I need to ask God to not lead me to sin? That God could lead me to sin? God would intentionally place me in a place of temptation? That doesn't seem to make sense. And we know that that's not what God does or how he operates, So what is he saying? Here Jesus is using a common play on words of sorts. The emphasis that you should underline in your Bibles is, lead us not. Jesus uses this language, and there's a few other places in Scripture where the not is inserted to infer or imply, essentially, the opposite So when we ask, when Jesus is teaching us to lead us not into temptation, what he's teaching us to ask God to do is to lead us towards righteousness. And so he's teaching us that we are completely dependent upon God for any righteousness that we display. Once again, what is in the way of our understanding where our gifts come from? Pride. I made, I created, I did. What's in the way of us acknowledging the forgi- Or forgiving others, I'm not that sinful. I don't need to do that. Pride. And here again, the height of pride is to think that we are righteous in and of ourselves. And for the Christian, one of the things that we acknowledge as Christians is that's not true. I tell you, I have no righteousness of my own. That's me. I have no Righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. It's only through Christ that I become the righteousness of God through what he is doing in my life. And so when Jesus teaches us and tells us to pray and ask God to lead us not into temptation, what he's saying is, remember that everything, your righteousness, your holiness, your reflection of me in your character and the way you live your life is completely dependent upon my work in you. Why do we sing the words in the song, prone to wander? Because that's who we are. Left to myself, I am prone to wander away from God. I am tempted to steer away from the things of him. I'm not wholly on my own. It's only because of Christ's work in me that you see any righteousness. And we are dependent upon God to lead us towards righteousness. And so Jesus is teaching us, ask God. Ask him, make me look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. Have you ever asked him to do that? Have you ever asked him to help you to reflect his character to a broken and lost and dying world more faithfully tomorrow than you did today? Do you you begin with that idea in mind? Again, you open up, the very beginning of your day, your day begins thinking about this idea that you would reflect God And that he would lead you towards righteousness, towards holiness, and protect you from the temptations that would take you astray. That's what he is telling us to pray. And remember how dependent upon him we truly are. So as we close out this section, looking at the Lord's Prayer, I want us to spend some time in prayer We're going to receive communion this morning. In just a few moments, we'll do that. But before we get there, I just want us to all collectively bow our heads and just go to the Lord in prayer. And perhaps you need to praise God and acknowledge the good gifts that he has given you. Give him credit. Give thanksgiving and and acknowledge him as the giver of the gifts. You need to repent. I don't know, maybe you're like me. You too quickly have failed to acknowledge God. And so when we, he teaches us to forgive us our debts, we need to go to the Lord in repentance and just say, I haven't put you first. I haven't put your kingdom above all. And ask the Lord for forgiveness. Perhaps there's somebody you're withholding forgiveness from and you need help. This is leading you towards righteousness, by the way. To forgive someone is an act of righteousness that only God can help you do. So whatever it is, I don't know what the Holy Spirit might be impressing upon your heart as you read this text, as we study it together, but I just want us to spend a few moments in prayer. Let's model our prayer life this morning after what we have been taught by Christ. So bow your heads and spend some time. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly acknowledging your greatness, your power, and your purposes. You have a plan for this world, God. And we... Thank you and rejoice that that we've been invited into your story of redemption and restoration. Help us, Father, to remember your kingdom above all. And I ask in my own life, help me to do your will. Your will will be done. There's no doubt about it. Help me to do it. Help me to be obedient as you build your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I thank you, Father, for the many gifts that you have blessed us with, you've blessed me with. Family, home, a church, community of believers that encourage my soul, so many good gifts just before my eyes, even this morning, Lord, and so I thank you for them. Forgive us for so quickly thinking that we can do all these things on our own, that all that we have is because of our own efforts. pray now Holy Spirit if there's anyone who needs to finally believe that Jesus paid their debt that their sins might be forgiven that they had a debt before you God Holy Spirit move powerfully this morning so they might believe that might have eternal life Father, we do pray that you would help us to look more like you individually and collectively as a church family. Help us to display a righteousness that we do not possess on our own, that only comes from you. And we ask that you'd help us to do that, not for our glory, but for your fame once again, so that your kingdom would continually be built as hurting people, look on the kindness and the grace and the mercy that we Christians display and it might lead them to worship you, the one who made it all happen. Help us in this, Lord. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus who taught us, amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.